Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. WQAD Podcast Network. The Cities with Jim Mertens, a production of WQPT, PBS for the Quad Cities region, a podcast in partnership with WQAD. What's going on in the Quad Cities? Activities, events, fun, politics, sports, local issues and opinions. And now, your host, Jim Mertens. I'm Jim Mertens, and this is the City's Podcast. The COVID-19 pandemic shut down the nation last year, and this year, let's be honest, it's been 12 months of slow recovery. So it begs the question, what will the new year be like? Okay, there is a new variant, Omicron by name, and it doesn't seem to be a show-stopping, business-shuttering, school-closing virus like COVID-19 was almost two years ago. But also, unlike two years ago, we're now facing rising inflation, a clogged supply chain of goods, and a pent-up demand among households and consumers who have pretty much kept the money they have in their wallets. We talked with a leading economist who helps project the future and the economic trends for our region and the nation. Kevin DePew, RSM Chief Deputy Economist, sat down with me shortly after he addressed a special program for members of the Quad Cities Chamber. You seem very bullish. Is that the right word for 2022? I would say I'm very optimistic about the economy. I'll leave the bullish characterization <laughs> for the stock market gurus. I'm not one of those, uh, but with the economy uh, specifically, uh, very optimistic. The structure is in place for a robust economy, not just uh, for 2021, but also looking out to 2022 and 2023. Why is it? Is it because the American economy is so resilient? We got through this. Uh, as you said, there's pent up demand. People are ready to work. People are ready to get the COVID in the rearview mirror. Yeah, we're, we are a resilient economy. That's one of the key themes that we've emphasized uh, really beginning uh, around April and May once we started to get to a point where, okay, we know that what the, the close, what the lockdown means. Uh, we, we get a sense of, of what the response is going to be. Even if we don't know what the virus does, uh, we at least know that we have a baseline of, of understanding of what to expect in terms of policymaker response, not just in the U.S., but globally. Uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think that resilience is the, the first word I would use to characterize it. Meanwhile, if we, were, uh, if we did not have the pandemic and you and I were having this conversation, my message would be the same because it's based on the structure of the economy as it developed from the Great Recession over that long period once we got to 2020. It just so happens that a pandemic occurred on top of that, which complicates the understanding of it. But there's nothing specific to the pandemic that has... Um, created a good economy. In fact, the perception is the opposite of that. Uh, but the structure, uh, it's not been just a couple of quarters in the making. It's been really more than a decade in the making. It's a good thing that you pointed out perception. I mean, that really does have an awful lot to do with even the projections for 2022. Absolutely. Now, we're inundated with all the negative stories about everything that's happening and, and you know, the, not the least of which is just the number of excess deaths that we've had uh, attributable to COVID or whatever. And so I, th- those are, it's a tragedy that we're living through. Uh, so I understand if there is this perception that things aren't great right now. 
but what I look at is over the last 20 years, we've been through 9-11, we've been through the dot-com crash, the corporate debt bubble. Uh, we had a structural financial crisis that in terms of the structure of the economy dwarfs the impact uh, in terms of the data of what has happened uh, during the COVID and the pandemic. So, you know, the structure is such that uh, we are in a good position now. And we've been resilient, not just throughout the COVID-19, but through all those events that have happened over the past 20 years. So I get it, that's a laundry list. And if you look at that, why would your perception be anything but that these are tough times, they're dark times, and I don't believe that the economy is going to continue to, uh, to, uh, to be as robust as the data show? We're kind of asking a macro question about the overall economy, but there are their haves and have nots. Are there areas that you see concern? Yeah, there are, especially the bottom two quintiles of income earners that have fallen out of the labor market or that are only now starting to see wage increases that mirror what the top three quintiles of income earners have. So we can get by that from an economist perspective, looking at the data, is that, yeah, the top two quintiles of income earners account for about 60% of consumer spending. So, you know, I, I understand that people can kind of skip past uh, what's happened for lower uh, income earners. Um, at the same time, you have a, a key, a, a crucial cohort of employer, of employment, of workers, uh, 25 to 34 year old women that have bur been burdened not only with uh, primary childcare responsibilities in a pandemic age where it's challenging to find uh, childcare for your children, even uh, school-age children, but also primary elder care responsibilities. Uh, and throughout the pandemic, while the average worker initially saw their wages decline by about 3.7%, they saw their incomes decline by almost 5%. So they have been disproportionately impacted by that. So it's not a one size fits all. And I wanna be very clear that in the aggregate, the economy and the structure is very sound, but certainly within pockets of it, lower income workers, hourly workers, those who do not have the skills to compete in a work from home hybrid environment, uh, those women 25 to 34 year old, that there are still challenges there that have not gone away. What we have noticed since the pandemic is that, especially when you look and you mentioned the deer strike, um, and the settlement of that contract, uh, where they got a, a large increase compared to the very first uh, contract offer. You take that and you take uh, the uh, rising uh, minimum wage uh, uh, that may be imposed in some areas, in some states, but in other areas, companies are doing it. Does it seem like workers are more in the driver's seat than they were before the pandemic? Yes, and that is uh, a significant shift from what we've seen over the past 40 years. So if you look at uh, the way uh, wages and uh, matched up with uh, profitability of firms over that long period, it was quite clear that particularly at the hourly wage level, uh, they didn't keep up. Uh, so you had a long period where, and I, I personally, most of my career has been that uh, as someone who graduated from college in the early 90s, there's always been somebody right behind me to take my job if somebody doesn't like what I'm doing. Uh, these days, that's not the case. There's not always somebody right behind you who is waiting to take your job. And employers are finding that. That's a demographically driven issue. So there's no easy answer to it. The reality is that we don't have labor supply sufficient to meet the current demand for labor. It remains to be seen whether automation and robotics and those types of things start to replace labor at a rate where all of a sudden, uh, uh, the employer is back in the driver's seat and the employee is kind of like, okay, well, uh, can I do this work now or not? So, The other point that you made that I thought was quite interesting was household income. Um, a lot of people feel 
they're in a tight squeeze. But uh, you're saying that since uh, in the last 15 years, Americans have been make, making sure that they pay down their debt and also that they get ready, basically bracing for what comes next. Well, the data show that, that it looked like in terms of household savings running uh, far above the, the long-term average in the, in the 2001 to, say, 2008 period where we consistently saved below the long-term average. Households spent the better part of a decade preparing for some kind of recession, and unfortunately, that recession was a devastating health crisis. So uh, not to minimize that, but households have done a lot of hard work in the aggregate uh, preparing themselves for what the economy looks like longer term. So they have been bracing. And I think that risk aversion uh, has its roots in the impact of the Great Recession. This impact uh, has not been as devastating in terms of the labor market and in terms of incomes as the Great Recession was. Uh, so that's the good news, but it still doesn't make anybody feel better because this is a devastating health crisis. Well, leading up to 2007, 2008, with the, uh, with the Great Recession, I mean, when you look at the aughts, let's say 2000 until that period of time, it, it almost reminds you of the roaring 20s in a way that we were spending more uh, than we had um, and then we paid for it. That's the great irony to me. I have seen uh, a lot of articles over the last couple of years, people pointing to uh, the stimulus and uh, the stimulus checks and the support for household incomes as being uh, the trigger for what will be the new roaring 20s. Well, we had the roaring 20s. It's just that they occurred prior to 2020 and that 2005 through 2007 period. So there was wild uh, speculation in real estate, uh, wild speculation on the parts of corporate America, which left corporate America in a very poor state uh, in the wake of the Great Recession. So we've gone from a long period where uh, the output gap, uh, uh, real GDP being below potential GDP for such a long period of time that it kind of masked uh, the underlying uh, demographics and labor issues and also created this whole period where businesses have entered this uh, this movement away from the coronavirus recession uh, much more fearful than they probably would be otherwise. We all tend to overweight our most recent experience. Uh, and so our most recent experience, unfortunately, was the worst uh, recession and the longest and deepest recession since the Great Depression. This is a different recession, and it's driven by the pandemic solely. Uh, so once we get to a point where we declare either an end to the pandemic, whether that means it's an endemic, something that we learn to live with, whatever that means, the economy structure is sound and we'll be in a much better position going forward. Well, right now, the biggest two issues appear to be inflation and supply, uh, the supply chain problems. You're seeing perhaps that the supply chain problems, the worst days may be behind us? Yeah, I don't, you know, it's too early to say. What I would say is the data right now and our RSMUS uh, supply chain index show that we have likely seen uh, the worst of the supply chain crisis. Um, it doesn't mean that it's going to immediately improve. I think we're looking at a slow process. It just takes time to sort through this. In the meantime, we're not sure what the impact of the new Omicron variant will be in uh, say parts of Asia or parts of South America or Europe where we're so dependent in many cases on getting supplies uh, overseas. So if they have a variant that spreads and causes stress on their side, then it's gonna show up in our own supply chain here uh, internally. 
So, uh, you know, I'm optimistic that we've seen the worst of it uh, in terms of inflation. Uh, I know that, that transitory from an economist perspective might be one to two years. And so uh, certainly um, it's likely that the central bank uh, isn't thrilled that they chose transitory to characterize it. Uh, it, it certainly is uh, a problem for businesses in the short term. Longer term, however, uh, what we see is that the disinflationary and deflationary impact of technology, increasing automation, that all these factors are kind of coming together uh, that will create the conditions for a stable pricing environment longer term, even if one that is a little bit more elevated than our long-term disinflationary and deflationary worries uh, that stem from the Great Recession and really persisted up until uh, the, the COVID-19 crisis. So often, we, 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 one of the things that we use to uh, determine how strong the economy is is retail, of course, um, and, and consumer spending. How important is this Christmas holiday? Uh, you know, it's interesting that in, in terms of the data, we have always tended to focus a significant amount of our attention on the Christmas holiday and the shopping season. Uh, it's become a little more flat, meaning that that our consumption patterns have made it less important to rely on uh, holiday sales, both on the retail side, uh, from the retailer's perspective, and also on the household side. So part of that is the Amazon effect, right? We have the ability to go online and purchase things instantly, and that's been a process that has evolved over the last 20 years. Uh, so it's not as important as it used to be. We still look at it as a benchmark for what demand is like. Um, early uh, anecdotal evidence is that uh, people are, are uh, eager to get back out, eager to do some shopping. We continue to see robust online sales. And I think we're also seeing a little bit of a surprise in foot traffic in certain spots, depending on where the retailers are located. So I'm optimistic that it will be uh, a high quality holiday season when the data all comes in and all is said and done. It may not be the, the greatest one in the last five years, as, as some have said, uh, but still the, the ingredients are there for robust consumption longer term. So uh, I would say however this holiday season unfolds, our view is that longer term we're going to continue to see consumption at a very high level. When we talk to you again this time next year, looking back at, at what you had said, what do you think is going to be the most significant thing for the coming year? Uh, it may be that I don't have a beard, <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Um, I, I, the most significant thing for, for this holiday season, I, I think, is just to start to get back to a sense of normalcy, a sense of, of being with family. Um, I know that, that from me and my own household personally, it's less about uh, obtaining specific items and it's more about experiences, which has been where uh, uh, services and retail have been trending anyway, away from the accumulation of goods uh, and more toward experiences and services. So I, I would anticipate you'll see uh, quite a few more family vacations, uh, quite a few more experiential types of, of things happen. Um, so I, I think we'll still look back and say that it was a, it was a good holiday season. Kevin DePew, RSM, Chief Deputy Economist. Thanks for listening to The Cities with Jim Mertens. And watch The Cities Thursday nights at 7, Sunday afternoon at 4, and Monday night at 6 on WQPT, PBS for the Quad Cities region. WQAD Podcast Network.